Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Last week, my message was entitled, Come and See. Come and see. If you missed it, you can watch it or listen to it online. And we were talking about inviting people to experience the Jesus that we know. In other words, we've already had an experience with Jesus. We already have a relationship with Jesus at some level. And we want to invite other people to come and see. To come and see Jesus. The message today kind of follows up on that with a similar theme, but a little bit different focus. And the title of the message today is Go and Tell. Go and tell. We invite people to come and see. But yet we have a calling. We have a responsibility to go and tell. If you read through the Bible, and you especially the Gospels, you can see that phrase used a number of times. Go and tell, go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. Always about something good God has done. I shouldn't say always. Most all, always about something good God has done and need to get out and tell that message. But we're actually going to look at a very interesting, very unusual story from the Old Testament in 2 Kings 7 as a spiritual uh, parable, you might call, to this idea of go and tell. It does include those words, go and tell. As we read through the story, you might keep an eye out for that phrase. But let me set the scene. The story actually starts in 2 Kings chapter 6. So if this intrigues you, you can go back and read that. About 2,850 years ago, it's a long time ago, God was actively at work in his people. Unfortunately, his people were most often rejecting God and his a relationship with him. They were worshiping idols. But about 2,850 years ago, in the city of Samaria, perhaps you've heard that name, the people were starving to death. Now, that's not just a figure of speech. They weren't really, really hungry. Yes, Well, I mean, yes, they were. They weren't just really, really hungry. They were literally starving to death. Samaria was the capital of the northern nation of Israel. At a point in history, God's people had a civil war. They split in half, and the northern nation was called Israel. The capital is Samaria. And you know what? There really wasn't any good kings. There really weren't any good kings that ever reigned over Israel. They lived pretty much their whole existence as a nation in rebellion against God, but God never gave up on them. We read all the phenomenal stories about Elijah. Elijah was sent to that northern nation, that rebellious nation. His protege, Elisha, God sent to that northern city, that northern nation. And it's during the time of Elisha that this story takes place. So at that time, Samaria, the people of Samaria are starving to death literally because their enemy, the Syrians, have come against them. And they have besieged the city. No one can go out. No one can come in. You can't get any goods or services to come in or go out. And they have probably been besieging the city for months. There are three things that are mentioned in the story that talk about how bad it was. All the normal food is gone. It says at this particular time, you could buy a donkey's head for 80 shekels. Now, That amount doesn't mean anything to you. But how many of you want donkey's head to eat? Now, I know some of you like goat's head soup. I've had it. And I've had it. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) You know, once is enough for me. I tasted it. You know, so maybe they wanted to make donkey head soup. But it wasn't something they wanted. It wasn't something they normally ate. This was a beast of burden. This was a work animal that you would not sacrifice. But things have gotten so bad. And 80 shekels was a phenomenal amount of money to get a donkey's head to fix something to eat. It says something in the original language about like a quarter to a half a cup of dove's dung. Dove's dung, that sounds... Uh, people say it literally could have been dove's dung or it may be like a cultural term for uh, seed pods or some greens. But it says you could get about a quarter pound of whatever it is 
and it would cost what an average person would make in six months. Can you get, imagine getting a quarter-pound veggie burger for six months' salary? But even worse than that, the people had started resorting to cannibalism. There's a story in here, if you go back and read in chapter 6, where the king sees two ladies arguing. He says, what is wrong? And the one lady says, this woman, yesterday, we agreed that we would eat my son. And today, we eat hers, but she hid him. Good possibility the children had already died. But still, that's how desperate they are. And I believe God allowed them to get to that desperate place to get their attention so they would cry out to him. And even though it's not mentioned in the story, I guarantee you there are people that are crying out to God. And Elisha, God's prophet, is in town. And the king is so frustrated and upset, he's blaming Elisha, probably because he represents God, and God hasn't done something, and Elisha is his man. Why hasn't he entreated God to do something? He wants to put Elisha to death. And he goes to confront Elisha. And Elisha says, by this time tomorrow, this situation will be totally turned around. He said, by this time tomorrow, there's going to be an abundance of food. Prices are going to drop. Comparing it to today, he said, you're going to be able to get like $90 of groceries for $3. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that today? He says, it's going to happen within the next 24 hours. An impossible situation. You know, just like we sang this morning, God can do the impossible. And many times we need him to. I mean, have you ever been in a situation like this where you had a terrible situation, you didn't know what to do, you had no resources, and it literally turned around overnight? Oh, man, that's a wonderful situation. Chances are God was involved in that. In fact, I know God was involved in that, whether we recognize it or not. And God can do that. Most often, he doesn't do it as quickly as we'd like to, or we'd like him to. But anyway, Elisha said, God's going to turn it around. And the king's assistant mocked Elisha and the message from God. And Elisha looked at him and says, you know what? It's going to happen and you're going to see it, but you're not going to be able to enjoy it. And when we get to the end of the story, you can read beyond and it shows that he was in charge of the gate. And when God turned the situation around, the people were so excited and all the abundance that God provided and he got trampled to death for mocking God and his word and his prophet. Well, that's the background to the story. So let's look at it now. 2 Kings chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Remember now, the city's under siege. It says, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, the gate of the city. Now, you have to understand, lepers, leprosy. If you're familiar with the Bible context, if not, I'll explain it to you. Leprosy was a word that was used for a variety of different skin diseases. Many of them could be very severe, and once you got it, there was no cure, and it would spread all over your body, and it was contagious. And therefore, there was in culture, but also in God's law, rules that said that if you got leprosy, you had to separate yourself from everybody else except for other lepers. And the only way you could go back to your home, the only way you could go back to your family, the only way you could go back to society and regular existence is if you were healed from that leprosy and you had to go to the priests and they would examine you to make sure you're truly healed and pronounce you clean. But there's no indication that that ever happened except when God healed someone because there wasn't a natural cure that they knew of. And so these four lepers are at the gate of the city outside. I mean, things are bad inside the city. They're outside the city. They can't even be with their family. They can't be with their people. They are between the city and the enemy. And they're facing the same things. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine's in the city. And we'll die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, the enemy. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, 
we shall but die. And was like, what's the worst thing that could happen? We could die. But we're going to do that anyway. If we stay here, if we try to go into the city where the people will reject us. So let's go to the enemy. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll have mercy. And they'll let us live. Verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. The camp's there. All the Syrian stuff is there. But there's not a single person in sight. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving camp as it was and fled for their lives. God had decided, whether just sovereignly, in response to the people's prayers or whatever, that he was going to deliver them. And he caused the sound. There was no army. But he caused the sound of the army to be heard by the enemy. And they thought for sure that they had hired mercenaries from other countries to come wipe them out. And they all just took off, left everything behind. Verse 8. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, which is what all of us would have done. They are starving. They show up, there's nobody around. They go in a tent, and there is a meal all laid out for them. It's time to eat. They ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. See, all these valuables are there. We're rich. They're carrying it off. They're hiding it. They don't know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to find out, you know, either they're going to come back, or, or if they're gone for good, the people in the city are going to find out. They're going to come out here. Well, let's lay some stuff up for ourselves. Yeah, we'll be rich. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city. They went to the gate. They couldn't go in, but they called out to the gatekeepers of the city to give them this good news. We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I'll tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. He says, this is a trap. And it could have been. That kind of thing was done in the stories we read in the Old Testament. He says, you know what? They've, just, they've left everything behind. They've gone out to hide. And then when, we're, when we come out, they're just going to attack us and they're going to conquer us. And it seems to indicate that this first inclination is we're not going to do anything. Verse 13. And one of his servants said, well, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. He says, you know what? If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's at least send out some scouts and see what's up. Maybe we really do have this good news. You see, if they'd have believed Elisha, they'd have known God did something. So let's at least check it out. Maybe. There's a slight chance it might be true. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians and said, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And we're going to stop there, but those prices that are given, if you go and look what they were worth, it's... There was so much abundance that you could buy stuff cheap, all right? And if you read on with the rest of the story, it ends like I told you, that the king's advisor who had mocked the word of the Lord was put in charge of the gates and the people going in and out, and it was so crazy and stuff, he ended up getting trampled to death. Unfortunately, there's not really any indication that the people really 
turn back to God. But God did this to deliver them. Why is this story in the Bible? Well, it certainly is interesting, certainly unusual. There's a lot of lessons here. There's a lot of lessons about God and his love for people and how he never gives up on them. These people have been rebellious forever. I don't mean just years, but I mean decades and generations, and God never gave up on them. He continued to send his prophets to reach out to them. There's stuff in here about God's power, obviously, God's deliverance, his willingness to answer prayer, that his word is dependable. But for our purposes today, I want us to look at how this story illustrates the gospel and how we respond to it. The gospel. The word gospel means good news. The fact that God had scared the Syrians away and the people were no longer under siege and all the Syrians' resources were available to them to meet their need, that was good news. But in the New Testament, we see the word gospel over and over again. It means good news, but it's talking about the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So I want to look for just a moment about how this is a picture of the gospel, how this is a picture of the good news. And I'm going to tell you some, some ideas, some truths that you've heard. But I think it's important that we hear them again and that we understand them as we go into how God wants us to apply this to our lives today. And the first truth is this. We have a big problem, and it's sin. I'm not just talking about the people in that city had a big problem. I mean, that's what it illustrates. The people in that city are desperate. They are literally starving to death. They have no resources. They have no hope. They have no help. Except God, they don't seem to want to turn to him. They've got a big problem. Within days, if that long, they're going to all be dead. And they've suffered so much already. I think it's a picture of the big problem we have of sin. Now, they felt it. Many times when we are dead in sin, dying in sin, the Bible actually says we're already dead in sin. God has to raise us back up when he deals with it. But we don't sense it. We don't understand how serious it is. But it is serious. Because it has impact not only for this life, but for eternity. We have a big problem. It's sin. It's sin. The Bible puts it this way. Without Christ and what he did for us. Romans 3.23, a verse I, you've heard me mention so many times, and you've heard from other places. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, and the wages of sin is death. I explain this almost every week for a reason, because there are some people who need to hear it. We all are sinners, and our sin separates us from God And the way I like to describe that is having this big chasm between us and God or this big wall between us and God and our situation is hopeless. And what we have earned because of our sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God now and forever. But this, and you might say, well, how is this good news? Well, this isn't the good part of it, okay? You know, good news is extra good when you know how bad the bad news is, right? When you understand the bad news, and it's so important that people understand where they are, and that's one of the best ways you can pray for people that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I pray it all the time, Lord, help them to realize the desperate situation they are in and the desperate need they have. God, bring them to the place where they do feel that need for what only you can offer. It's sort of like if somebody came up for a cure for cancer, that'd be great news, but it'd be extra great news for those people that have cancer, right? I've used that illustration before. And in the same way, the good news we're getting ready to look at is extra good news for those who realize I really am a sinner. (laughs) And, And I need what God provides. And the second part of the good news, again, it's not the good part, is there's absolutely nothing we can do about our sin problem. We see it illustrated in this story. The people in Samaria literally starving to death, helpless, hopeless, and there was nothing they could do. They had exhausted all their resources. And in the same way, 
There's nothing we can do about our sin problem. We try. Well, I'll just be good. I'll do things that I think will make God happy, and we may try. We may try, you know, going to church, doing good stuff, trying to treat people right, being generous, giving, helping people in need, giving to God's kingdom, you know, reading my Bible, praying. All those are wonderful things to do, but Scripture makes it clear that our sin problem is so bad that we cannot balance it out. That's kind of how the world works. That's kind of what people think it's like with God, but it's not. We can't try to balance out our sin with the good because we can never do enough good to balance it out. We're hopeless. We're helpless on our own. Maybe you've been in a situation in your life where you had a severe need, physically, financially, relationally, that you could do absolutely nothing about. That's where we are spiritually, apart from God. The third part is where the good news really starts. Jesus paid the price to solve our sin problem. We've got that great chasm between us and God we can't cross. We've got that great wall between us and God. We can't go over it. But Jesus crossed the chasm and built a bridge. He knocked down the wall through his death on the cross. As you've heard me explain so many times, and I tell you again because someone here, you may need to hear this again because today is the day God is working in your heart and he says, come to me. Or one of you that are watching online or the recording later, God is speaking to your heart and he's saying, today is the day. Maybe you've heard this before over and over again, but God wants to hear you, wants you to hear it again because today's the day. Jesus, God himself, came to earth Became a man not just to be a good teacher or a good example, but to live a perfect life, the life we can't live, to die a death he didn't deserve, the death we deserve to pay the price for our sins. That's the good news. In the story, God brought deliverance to Samaria. He drove the enemy away, which provided for all of their needs. And in the same way, God himself, through Jesus, did what was needed to be able to save us from our sins. I read two verses a little while ago, but I only read the first half of both of them. Romans 3.23, well, I read all of it, but verse 24 can't be left out. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short, but God sent Jesus. And when we do the fourth step, we're not there yet. He justifies us. What does justify mean? Justification. I I like the simple way of saying it's just as if I'd, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. In other words, in his sight, we are sinless. Not because we are, but because Jesus took care of it. We're justified by his grace, which means we don't deserve it. But it's a gift. It's a gift. Romans 6, 23, I said, for the wages of sin is death. But it goes on, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Free gift. Again, maybe you can think of a time in your life. Maybe it's associated with what I just said a minute ago, being in a situation that's so desperate and there's nothing you could do about it. But a time in your life when somebody did something for you that you could not do for yourself. And it had to be done. Desperate situation. I don't know if there's anybody here watching online that you ever were in a situation where you were in danger of losing your life and somebody saved your life. Maybe one of you in here saved somebody else's life through a medical situation or a physical situation or whatever. But it's sort of like that thing. And it leads us to the fourth part. The fourth part of this good news and this picture of it we see in this story We must respond to God's deliverance by accepting his gift. Now, in the story, the king was at first reluctant. If the servant hadn't spoken up, he may have sat there again for a little while. He didn't really get really responsive. And he was being wise because it could have been a trap. But once the word got out, I doubt there was anybody who didn't respond to the good news by rushing out to get food and to have their needs met. But in that case, their desperation was so real and felt. And the solution was right there in front of them. 
As I said, the problem with sin is that it's real, but we don't feel it sometimes. We don't sense how, how, desperately, how desperate we really are, spiritually speaking. Or we just don't think it's really all that important. Because maybe the spiritual part of life just isn't that important. We're more concerned about the physical. Some of you can relate to that from before you knew Christ. But in this case, in the story, they all, I bet they all responded. But yet, today when we talk about the spiritual truth, the good news, the gospel, that we got the sin problem, there's nothing we can do about it, but Jesus came and took care of it, but we have to respond Many of you, most of you, maybe all of you that are here today and many of you online, you've responded to that. You had that desperation. You knew of that need and you knew there was nothing you could do and so you accepted the gift of God. You responded to what Jesus did and that's what we need to do. But so many times people do not do that. But there may be some of you who say, how do you respond? Well, it is a gift, but you need to take that gift. If I had a gift for you, it wouldn't be yours or in your possession till you take it from me. How do we receive this gift of salvation? Well, since Jesus already did everything, it basically is coming to God, admitting the truth, and asking for it. Or it's coming to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Your word says that, but I agree. I believe it. I am a sinner. And my sin has separated me from you. And I ask that you would forgive me, not because I deserve it or not because I can earn it, but because Jesus paid the price. Please forgive me. Take control of my life. Help me to live a life to please you. You see, that's an important part to leave our sin behind. It's not a requirement to get the salvation, but it should be what follows. And it only makes sense if sin is what separates us from God. If we're going to come to God to get the sin problem fixed, why would we still want it in our lives? Well, the answer to that is because it's so much fun. Nobody laughed. It's the truth. I heard a preacher once say, if you are not having fun in sin, you're not doing it right. Not that he was encouraging them to sin, but you see, that's the appeal of sin. It appeals to our flesh. It, it, it feels good to sin. It meets other needs in our life, but it separates us from God. So we ask God, Lord, forgive us based on what Jesus did. I'm putting my faith, my trust in him, and now I want to live for you. Live your life through me. And the Bible says that when we pray that way, that pray that prayer based on those truths, that God saves us from our sins. He forgives us. His spirit comes to dwell within us. You may sense something different. You may not sense anything different. But God's word says he comes to dwell within us and he will guide us and lead us and help us with whatever we face. And I would say at this point, we're not done with the message yet because God's got a different message I'm leading up to for us here today and those watching online but that may be the most important part of what you need to hear and respond to today. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, God is speaking to you. You know he's speaking to you. Respond and accept his gift of salvation. Well, this story not only is a picture of the gospel, but it's also a picture of how we relate to the gospel, how we respond to the gospel. Just real quickly, uh, the first one we've already talked about, we can receive the benefits of the gospel. In other words, we hear the good news, we respond. In the story, the lepers, they didn't hear anything, but they just said, we're going to die here. We can't go in the city, we'll die there. We'll go to the enemy. We may die there too, but maybe not. But they show up in camp and they see everybody gone, all these resources, food, riches. And they benefited from that good news. And in the same way, many, most, maybe all of you that are here today, Many of you that are watching online, you've benefited from that good news. You took that step I just described of coming to God, admitting your sin and asking for forgiveness based on what Jesus did. And now you're living for him. And so you have benefited from the good news. You are saved. Your sins are forgiven. You have a relationship with God. But beyond that initial receiving the benefits of the gospel, we can enjoy the blessings of the gospel. You see, it's not just, well, I'm saved, now I'm going to go to heaven, but now life is still tough. I mean, it will be. You know, one day everything will be okay, but right now it's kind of, eh. And sometimes it is. But we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have God's presence and his peace and his love and his joy, fulfillment. We 
enjoy the blessings of the gospel, just like the lepers enjoyed the blessings of finding this camp empty, plenty to eat, not only met their need, but began to build up wealth. Now, I'm not talking about physical blessings, although God blesses us in so many ways in our lives. And it's not just for eternity, but for right here and now, God said that he wants us to have abundant life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's not just eternal life. That's the most important part of it because it lasts forever. But to have abundant life here. And can I tell you that many times right there is where we stop. Or right there is where we rest. That right there is where we sit and enjoy, just like the lepers were doing in those tents. They had their knees met. They ate. They were now satisfied. They had this wealth. They took it. They hid it away. And they're just sitting there enjoying the blessings. And too often, that's exactly what we are doing. We've been saved from our sins. God has been and is blessing us in so many ways, and we're just enjoying life. And we should, but we shouldn't stop there. You see, as we talk about how we relate to the gospel, we receive the benefits, we enjoy the blessings, but the third part is we should share the gospel with others. That good news that we've received, we need to share with others, just like the lepers came to their senses and said, this isn't right for us just to sit here. We've got to go tell the people in the city. And so that brings us to this part about sharing the good news and the title of the message today, Go and Tell. Sharing the good news, go and tell. The key is verse 9 of 2 Kings 7. Then the lepers said to one another, we are not doing right. They had the benefit of the good news. They've been blessed by the good news. The Syrians are gone. But they weren't doing anything to tell anybody else. And they said, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. We've got it. If we're silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. I don't know what punishment they were talking about, whether they felt like God would punish them because they were keeping it all to themselves, whether when the king and the people found out that they knew about it and didn't bother to tell them that the people would punish them. I don't know, but they they just knew that they were not doing what was right, and if you don't do what is right, there's consequences. Now, I want to let you know real quickly, I'm not trying to tell you that if you don't start sharing your faith with others, God's going to zap you. That's not the point of this. We are under grace. But we need to share the good news. We've experienced it ourselves. God has so blessed us, not only here, but for all eternity. Why would we not share that with others? Well, there's some very good reasons, and I want to talk about that next. Why do we hesitate to share the good news? It wasn't a problem for the lepers to share it. They knew everybody would be excited. But can I tell you that we hesitate to share the good news with the people around us because of fear. A number of fears, but I want to mention three of them really quickly. First of all, fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. We're afraid that if we share with others about the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, we will be rejected. The lepers didn't have to worry about being rejected. As I've said several times in this message, the the people in Samaria, they felt this. They knew it. They knew the desperation And the lepers knew that this good news would be welcomed by everybody. But in our sin, in our sin, we become numb to spiritual things. We enjoy life to a degree. Yes, there may be an emptiness. There may be such a sense of a desperate emptiness on the inside. And we try to fill it with so many other things. And maybe there isn't a sense of emptiness. We're just enjoying life. And to hear about God and we're a sinner and we need a Savior is not something that many times we want to hear. 
If I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you were ever at a point like that in your life, when you were out there doing your own thing, somebody told you about Jesus and your need for a Savior, and you're like, I don't want that, I don't need that. Many of you, many of us could testify to that because we hadn't gotten to that point where we realized how bad. And maybe we rejected some people who tried to bring the good news to us. But whether we've seen it happen or we're just afraid it's going to happen, sometimes we don't share the good news because we're afraid of rejection. The people will not respond well. They'll think less of me. Maybe they'll cut me off. Maybe we won't have that same relationship anymore. Fear of rejection. The second fear is fear of embarrassment. I don't know enough. (laughs) I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to get embarrassed. They're going to ask me a question I can't answer. Let me give you an answer that you can give to any question whether you know the specifics or not. When somebody asks you a question that you don't really know the answer to, say, you know what? I don't know. But I'll find out, and I'll get back to you. And then you go, and you research. You talk to me. You talk to Pastor Jan. You talk to smart people like Lynn, you know. You study your Bible. You look up resources. And it provides a foundation to continue to share the good news. But we get, we're afraid of being embarrassed. I love this. Somebody said that sharing the gospel, the good news with others, all it basically is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. You know, it's always good to learn more, to know more truth, to understand the scriptures, be able to kind of quote them and stuff. And we should do that. You know, if you don't know enough to share the gospel, why not? You know, you tried to learn how to use your computer. You tried to learn how to use your mixer. You tried to learn how to use your appliance. You know, why can't you try to learn how to share the gospel more effectively? But even then, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You can just share with people what Jesus has done for you. I think that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, I've preached on this before, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What's the basic there? What is the hope that you have because of what happened with you in Jesus Christ? Just be willing to share that as a foundation. And then the third fear, and there may be others, is fear of failure. Well, what if I actually do step out and I do share the gospel, but they don't accept Jesus? I've failed. No, you haven't. Because all God asks us to do is to share the good news. How they respond is up to them. How they respond is up to them. They have to make their own choice. I've, I've compared it this way before, so you've probably heard this before. It's sort of like working for FedEx or UPS or one of those, and you've got a package to deliver. You're supposed to get that package to the people. If they say, I don't want it, send it back. You weren't a failure. You took the package to them. They rejected it. I want to wrap this up with one more thought, one more piece of information. Why should we share the good news anyway? We battle these fears, these insecurities, afraid of failure, afraid of embarrassment, afraid of rejection, don't know how people respond. It's probably going to be negative. Why should we share the gospel anyway? Well, the first one is kind of negative, but it's the truth. And it hits home. It's selfish not to. Those lepers sitting in the tent, plenty to eat. Riches galore and not too far away, a city of people that are dying of starvation. How selfish it would be for them not to share that. And that's the conclusion they came to. How selfish is it for us? When there are people around us without Christ, and if they don't come to know him, they will die and be eternally separated from God. And all that is good, that's called hell. It's hell because God and his goodness are not manifested there. And all that is good comes from God, so there is no good thing in hell. But it's because the people have chosen not to accept God's solution to keep them from that place. But if they don't hear it, If they don't hear it, how can we have what dying people need 
and not tell them about it. The second reason, it's more positive, we've been given a responsibility. I want to challenge you, because I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm going to challenge you to later today or this week to read Ezekiel chapter 3 and 33. Easy to remember, Ezekiel 3 and 33. Two different places in the book of Ezekiel, a prophet of God, God spoke to him. He says, Ezekiel, I'm giving you a special call. I've called you to be a watchman. And he paints this picture of the watchman on the wall of a city. You watch out for the enemy coming. And if you hear the enemy coming, you warn the people. Now, what they do with that is up to them. But as a watchman, if you see the enemy coming, or if I tell you a message, and you don't share it with the people, and they die, they'll die because they deserve to die. But the responsibility will weigh on you. You'll be responsible. But if you give them the message... And they respond, great. But if you give them the message and they reject it and they ignore it, you have done what you need to do. You will not be held responsible. But they will. Again, Ezekiel had a very specific calling as the prophet of God to a nation. And God meant what he said. It's a different calling than we have. As I said earlier, I'm not trying to lay some big con condemning guilt trip on you that if you don't somehow share your faith, God's going to send you to hell. No, we're going to heaven because Jesus Christ died for our sins and they've been forgiven and God's grace and mercy are extended to us. But we cannot use that as an excuse to avoid the responsibility that we do have. We have been given a responsibility. Jesus told his disciples, and I believe with all my heart, his intent was that this this message to the disciples was to all of his disciples of all time. In Mark 16, 15, he says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to, every cre- to the whole creation. So I say, well, that only applies to missionaries, that God would call to be missionaries. I would say, you're right, but you know what? God calls all of us to be missionaries. He may not send us to another place in the United States or around the world, but he sends us to our world. And that word go can be like go as you are going, as, you're, as you are going through your everyday life. Be ready, open, available, willing to share the good news. Same thing in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus told his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. When we're doing his work, when we're sharing the good news, Acts 1.8, but you, Jesus telling his disciples, but you will receive power. You say, I can't do it. God says he'll give you everything you need. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as you go, be willing, open, ready to share a reason for the hope that is within you, as Peter says, to share the good news. The third and last reason we should share the gospel anyway, love for God and others should compel us prophets in the Old Testament said, I really didn't want to bring God's message, but I just had to. I'm compelled. Paul talks about being compelled because people are lost to share with them the gospel. Love for God. God, I love you. I want to please you. I want to serve you. I want to obey you. You've been so good to me. You asked me to tell others, I'm going to tell others. You've been so good, I've got to tell other people about that. Love for others, compassion, other people who are dying without Christ. Maybe not physically right now, but spiritually. My love, uh, God, give me a love, give me a compassion. I go back to what the lepers said. They said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent, let's not be silent. Now that they ever come, let us go and tell the king's household. I challenge you. I believe God is challenging us today to share the good news. Not saying you need to start going out on the street corners to preach. Not saying that you need to do something aggressively out of your character or personality, but be open to whatever God asks you to do. 
but to be willing to share the good news with people around you. That's the way most people come to know Christ anyway. We talked about it Wednesday night, last Wednesday night in, in our Bible study that most people come to know Christ just because somebody that they already knew, friend, family member, whatever, shared the gospel with them. Just a real quick little plug here. Whenever you pray for missionaries and give to missionaries, you're doing that part of that too. But don't just give and say, well, my responsibility is over. I don't have to share myself. But get involved in missions. I want to conclude by reading something to you. And then we're going to do um, what we usually do. I'm going to invite my wife and our elders that are here to come down front. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. I'm going to ask you to meditate on what God's speaking to your heart about. And you may want to ask God, who do you want me to share the good news with? But we'll be down here to pray with you, any of you that would like prayer today, either for yourself or for someone else. We'll do that in just a moment. But I want to read this to you. We mentioned earlier in the service, and I'm going to try to get through this without too much difficulty, that one of our dear brothers in Christ, Ron White, went to be with the Lord Friday. Some of you know this, but many of you may not. Ron loved to write. And he always wrote about God. The truth of God's word, how good God is. And over the years, he'd give me a number of writings, and I'd pulled them out, and I was rereading them this morning, looking to when we're going to have a wonderful memorial service for him later on this week. Got some things I'll read to you during that service. But this particular one, I thought, God, this is for the sermon today. He puts the dates at the top. He wrote this in 1979, 40-something years ago. And whether you knew Ron or didn't, if you knew him, you know this. If you don't, he lived out what he wrote here. He put a title at the top. He usually did. He said, give me a burden. Lord, give me a burden that I can do for you. Give me a total commitment that I can follow through. Lead me to someone that is looking for you. Oh, Lord, allow me the privilege Give me something to do. If you will give me this burden, I will carry it. Well, sorry, writing a little hard to read. Lord, what an honor it would be to bring you a soul from hell. If each and every Christian would just witness what they know, it wouldn't be very long, Lord, and your houses would overflow. Lord, I'm so full of love for you. It seems my heart will break but when I find those that didn't, don't share this love, it's sometimes more than I can take. Yes, Lord? I understand that all you ask of me is to go forth and tell the world that salvation comes from thee. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me the most precious thing I know. That is the true chance to be reborn again, to be saved from that fiery place below. Because of what you did for us, we all have a part to play. And that is to gather lost souls for you and get them ready for judgment day. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Almost everything he wrote was ended with, thank you, Jesus. I love you. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite my wife and our elders to come. For the next couple of moments, I want you to meditate, to think on what God's spoken to you, to respond as you believe he would. If you want prayer for yourself or others, come. We'll be glad to pray with you. And then I'll come back and close our time together in prayer. I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray specifically that God will give me a greater love, compassion for the people around me to such a degree that I'll be more than ever willing to share the gospel. Because I struggle with the same fears you do. I know I'm a pastor. You think, oh, he's fearless. He'll talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere about Jesus. I still struggle with the same things I talked about today. But the thought I want to leave you with before we pray, I read that thing that Ron wrote. Many of you know Ron. Some of you don't. But you know what? If you didn't know Ron... You might would say, well, he must have been a great evangelist. He must have been a pastor. He must have, you know. But you know what? Ron wasn't some evangelist in the sense of preaching the gospel. He wasn't a pastor. Uh, I don't know if he was ever a Sunday school teacher or even in leadership over any group or anything. 
But you know what I know about Ron? He was a man who loved God and he loved people. And he didn't mind telling people about Jesus. So I think God did that 43 years ago when he wrote it. He gave him that burden. And he lived it out the way that fit his personality and the way God made him and the way God called him. And that's all God asked us to do too. Father God, we come before you today thankful for your goodness. And Lord, we thank you that we have experienced the benefits of the good news and the blessings of the good news. Most of us know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we've got a relationship with you. And we stand here or sit here or we're in our homes or wherever we're at free from sin. Life isn't perfect, but you're with us and you're taking care of us and you're helping us. And one day we will be with you forever. Thank you, Lord. But God, I pray that you would help us not to lose sight that there are people all around us who don't have that. They're not experiencing that now and they will not experience it for all eternity unless they accept the truths and respond to the truths of your good news. God, help us to put our fears aside. Help us to be willing to step out, even in the midst of concerns and fears, Lord God, to just lovingly, tactfully, gently, Lord God. Peter says we should always give, be ready to give a reason for the hope we have, but he says with gentleness and respect, not arrogantly, not in your face, not aggressively in a confrontational way, but just lovingly tell people about you. And help us to just leave the results up to you and to them. God, give us a greater love and a greater compassion for others. And Father, we thank you for that, Lord God. And as we close today, Lord God, there are probably many of us, maybe even all of us, we've got people we love who don't know you. They're not right with you. Maybe they've heard the good news and they've rejected it. Maybe they've never had a clear presentation. But God, we ask that you reach out to them through us, through somebody else. And God, draw them by your spirit. May they respond and come to know you. Father, we thank you. We praise you for it. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go rejoicing in the goodness of God and willing to share it with others. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.